You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 131. Today's topic, rap, pornography, fantasy, or reality. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And it will be of no surprise to our long-term listeners that uh, one of the topics that, of course, is central when we're thinking about human trafficking is the topic of pornography. And Sandy, we've talked about this uh, a number of times, uh, and many times on episodes. So we've done a couple episodes specifically on the topic. And uh, and we're going to revisit it today because, uh, as always, we have new things to talk about. Um, but also, uh, it's so important for us to revisit and just talk about, you know, what all is here so that we understand the connections between pornography and Absolutely. There is such um, a very close link between pornography and and sex trafficking, not only of adults, but also of children, especially as pornography um, demands create more and more aberrant pathways and demand younger and younger victims. Um, I think the, uh, the link between pornography and sex trafficking is an issue that people generally all agree on. And when I was asked by RAP, the Religious Alliance Against Pornography, to do a webinar expressly with that agenda to establish that link, I was, I'd never heard of RAP, but it is a religious alliance across faith, um, the spectrum. And their only mission is to create a broad interfaith effort to alert, educate, and mobilize all people to understand and combat pornography. And so I was very honored to be chosen to to get to do that webinar. And it was um, listened to by people, and, and actually people signed on, and we'll put the links if you want to go and, and watch the webinar. This is kind of our audio delivery of some of the highlights of the webinar. But in the context of this time of year in October when White Ribbon Against Pornography, for those that have been regular listeners, you know we always acknowledge uh, White Ribbon Against Pornography Week, which also sounds like rap. Right? Rap and rap. There you go. And for those who aren't familiar with um, how does uh, White Women Against Pornography come together? What's the organization, organizations behind that? That started in 1984 because of one woman who wanted to raise awareness. And now it's, it's an annual event at Vanguard. We literally wrap white ribbon around trees and put up Um, signs that give some statistics about the harms because we want to draw attention to the issue and give people some tools for countering it. 
And, and, you know, in the news of late, we've seen the arrest of the CEO of Backpage. That's made the news locally and nationally. And the connection between pornography on Backpage and sex trafficking victims that have been rescued um, following up leads and finding evidence of children whose pictures have been posted it's it's very clear that this is all converging right now and has is a very high profile issue in the news and in our local communities so i think the the idea of exploring the link and understanding that the i the i, I think the question is what about fantasy and reality because there is this myth that pornography is a victimless crime because it's just a picture. But it isn't just a picture. First of all, the pictures are are made with real people, real children, real girls, real women, real men, real boys. And getting our, our heads around the victimization that happens in the process. And legally, if the if the person being used in the production of pornography is under the age of 18, it is automatically a sex trafficking case. Any commercial um, sexual exploitation, whether it's for phone sex or um, dates in a motel room or for pornography, it is considered a prosecutable crime. And the trafficker can be sent to prison under federal law and under um, state law. Sandy, so we've talked about this on the show before, so I don't want to go too much in depth on it. But there, there is a contingent of people out there who look at something like pornography, um, not thinking about it from a child standpoint, but from adults, and and say, well, you know, it, it, that person's getting paid, and so no, it's not the most glamorous industry. But uh, what's the problem with it? They chose that lifestyle. They chose to get paid and enter that industry. So why is that an issue? It's an issue, and what, what when someone comes to you with that kind of an argument, what do oh, you that's, say? I wish I had my friend Harmony Dust here with me because she was on the webinar. And, yeah, and she's been on the show before, She's of been on the show. We'll, we'll link to that, too, because yeah, that's an important conversation. Yeah, that would be great. Um, one of the things that she says about that is just because this is an adult doesn't mean she wants to be there. She could still have been very much a sex trafficking victim um, had pictures taken of her, been coerced and threatened, um, may owe money, or may have been lured into what was supposed to be an entry level to Hollywood to become a star. And when you've got people um, that became stars that started out in pornography, like Sylvester Stallone, and people know that story, um, it's a credible um, logic pathway uh, for somebody who's really desperate to get into the film industry. What they don't understand is the amount of violence and that they, the likelihood of them actually making the transition into um, regular film is very, very low. Then secondly, the other aspect is the the genre of pornography has changed, become more violent um, as appetites have changed and addictions that drive 
the um, the desire for more and more and more and variety and uh, something that I've never seen before. And what that has done is it has um, created a demand for younger and younger victims mm. as the scenarios are clearly depicting. If you um, do a little research, and I don't actually recommend that you all do this, but I took the time and I went on five um, uh, aggregated porn sites where they keep, I didn't look at porn, but I kept, I checked out their stats to find out what the most common searches were. And on um, four of the websites, teen was number two, Mm. the search. And those kinds of things like that. And then you would see in the top 10 child. um, and, And you just thought, how could that be in the top 10 search that someone is intentionally looking for a child being used, a child being raped online? Um, that's beyond my ability to imagine that. So the the link between even adult um, performers that appear to be there voluntarily and and sex trafficking and or child sex trafficking is very strong. The other thing that Harmony often reminds us of is that per- young woman who may have um, agreed to do this, saying, yes, I, I need the money, um, didn't really get to keep very much of the money. And they are charged for getting their hair done and their nails done and may have just a few hundred dollars left after working all month. Mm. And so um, I'm, I would like to use air quotes for saying working because oh. um, it didn't come with benefits, didn't come with a health care program. And the longevity for the average person involved um, is is very short. And for teenagers, because one of the um, trends that's happening right now is what they call amateur. And they actually um, have young adults and um, adolescents that are are performing not as a as a professional, but literally as an amateur. And their longevity, according to my sources, was about six months. Mm. And then they they're used up and no longer valuable for the producers. And because they don't get the same responses, because they're um, well, they've been abused yeah. and shut down. Thanks for sharing that. I know we got a lot more to cover, but I think that if someone's picking this up for the first time, hasn't heard the context of some of the other conversations, it's a really helpful perspective to know uh, just to get deeper into this because it's um, sometimes that, that, that first piece, if you can't be on that of like, okay, why is this even an issue? It then gets you back into like, okay, now, so tell me more. Exactly. Like, why is this? What, how do we address this? Well, in understanding that sex trafficking, we, we've talked about the definition. It is when someone is sold for a commercial sex act. So somebody's making money and it may not be um, cash exchanging hands, but someone's profiting from how many clicks, um, what advertisers are, are paying. So there is a profit motive in this and it can be 
um, for things as simple, and I'm again, air quotes, I guess, uh, for things that we would see as prostitution on the street, um, ads on things like Backpage that just got shut down, um, online, in escort services, um, in strip clubs, and of course, as we just said, in pornography. And if the the person is a minor boy or girl, um, it is automatically a sex trafficking case. We don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. And, and the idea that the prevalence of children being used in pornography is so much more than we, and, and really, really young. It's, it's very disturbing. Ernie Allen was our speaker at Priceless this year, and one of the stats that he shared with us, eight, when they um, evaluated individuals possessing child pornography at National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, 83% of those people had images of children between the ages of 6 and 12, Wow. 39% had images of children between the ages of three and five. 19% had images of babies and infants under the age of three. Extremely disturbing. And because of that, we need to have a public that is more aware and understands the ramifications of this kind of abuse. So it's really important for us to understand how disturbing what's happening in the production of pornography that abuses children. And it isn't something that is a victimless crime. So how do we protect our children? And, and the idea that, that um, when I mentioned teen as the number two um, search on several of the porn engines, um, that's not just adults searching that's young people searching and oh. and a, a recent article and we'll, we'll put a, a link to it in the show notes um porn the new sex education and just like our kids in and i i see kids in high schools and middle schools and the teacher asks a question and they're on their phones looking up the answer because they don't come to school to find the answer. They need to learn concepts and principles and and how to do critical thinking. But the information is available at literally your fingertips. Mm -hmm. So if they have a question and mom and dad have never talked to them about sex or um, they haven't even been to the the very antiquated sex education class in in their school and they want to know something, they look it up. What are they going to find? They're going to find um, answers that are not um, healthy answers. And then they're going to start looking more and more. And so the idea that um, children become addicts when they're adolescents is, is a serious problem because we know from previous shows that with the developing brain, when you're a 14, 16-year-old, you're brain is wired for rewards to mm-hmm. respond to that rush and that drives the addiction so how do we protect our kids well one of the ways is that we talk to them so they don't go online to find out information and if they do go online then it's something that as a parent you're going to have a conversation 
and you shared something with me today too. If um, just some of the technology, you can even have your cell phone provider to do some filtering, I understand. Absolutely. And it was interesting, during the webinar, I did a survey of people who actually had protection software on their computers and discovered that a lot of people don't know that it exists in their operating system through their um, their online service provider. You can get extra software if you want. And so they actually own software and haven't turned it on to protect their kids. So this is an area, this is like a, a little fall, get ready for um, um, fall weather and check your computer and make sure you have all of the filters on that you possibly can in order to protect your kids. Because earlier and earlier exposure to pornography creates um, earlier and earlier addictions. And we've talked about NetSmarts before as a resource for that as well as far as the education piece for parents on how to um, how to navigate around some of that. But uh, as you said, I mean, virtually every modern computer operating system, phone, tablet, all has that built into the operating system. So it's just a matter of being intentional about going in and activating those. And uh, the basics are fairly simple for most people to do. Uh, the advanced stuff, you might need a little bit of support from your favorite IT person, but find someone who knows something about that if you don't and you're not comfortable with it because that goes a long way. Your cell phone provider, um, if your kids have, have smartphones, um, they can help you with managing what's happening on your kid's cell phone. And, and I'm always training parents that the cell phone belongs to you, not to your 12, 13, 14-year-old. Right. And so if they are doing things that are not appropriate, then be the parent, take it away from them and set up guards so that they can't access certain material. Um, make sure you check their phone every day to see what they're doing. And there are... There are um, um, settings on many of the providers where it reports what websites the kids went to and how many text messages they had and how many, you know, all of those kinds of things. So you can um, protect your kids. The, the internet is a big highway. You don't send them out to cross the freeway without some training and some um, supervision. So it's the same thing on the internet. And am I remembering right that NetSmarts is a good place to get a lot of that, Net how to Smarts do it? is my favorite place, first of all, because I, I'm pretty thrifty. I want to get things that I've already paid for and use them. And so I think it's good stewardship that NetSmarts is a public-private partnership um, and by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So the FBI is involved and uh, lots of great educators. The material on NetSmarts is designed for adults, including teachers, parents, um, even law enforcement. But it's also designed um, at a age-appropriate level for youth, starting from as high school going all the way down to preschool. And one of my favorite new videos they released this last summer is called It's Okay to Tell. And it's designed for probably uh, nine to 12 year olds, but you could get away with showing it to middle school kids. And it's based on the premise that our research shows that the average age of first seeing pornography is about nine years old. Oh, um, wow. some, some researchers say 11. So 
that's why I recommend this for the, um, the elementary school age. But in the video, they don't give any um, examples of pornography. And if I can make one thing really clear, I don't believe that we can um, handle, that, that we can uh, combat pornography by doing conferences on pornography where we use pictures of pornography. I think that's kind of like trying to fight um, heroin addiction by giving out samples. And, and of course, then you, um, in any public setting, you're probably going to have people that um, are either curious and had never um, explored before. And now this, this is all um, um, inciting that response. And then you have people who have been really, really good and they got away from that and they saved their marriage and their church has a great support group, which we can put some links to some good resources for that too, uh, for partners, um, for um, groups, women's groups, men's group that meet on a regular basis. Because 32 to 35% of clicks on pornography now are clicked on by females. So it's not an issue that is just for men. We no longer think that way and we understand that. So when I'm, when I'm um, talking to folks who have uh, elementary school kids, I really encourage them to show this video because it doesn't show pornography. It shows what a child feels like when they see something that they know isn't right and they don't feel comfortable. And so you'll see a child um, close his computer when his mom comes in the room and the lesson at the end of this is it's okay to tell because if you tell, then you get your, um, your color back actually, because as they, as they close their computer and pull back away and don't want to engage because of the shame associated, um, everything turns gray. You, you really have to go online and, and check Hmm. it out, Dave, because it's well done and you could show it in a fourth grade class, a fifth grade class um, at, at a Sunday school or a youth group, hmm. and it would be fine. Great. We'll track it down and make sure it gets in our notes as well, too. You know, and and I I want to spend just a couple of minutes. Um, I don't. I have no idea where we are on time at this point. Maybe about six or seven minutes okay. uh, to go. Um, my friend Harmony, and we're going to link to her, uh, she joined me on that webinar, and one of the things that she said that really stuck with me is my story matters, but it doesn't define me. And so many times in fighting human trafficking, fighting pornography, our fixation on survivor stories and what happened to them is counterproductive. And I just um, want to take a minute to recognize Harmony's voice and others like her, but not to put them in a category of um, defining them by their story. And when I, when I talk to leaders that want to fight pornography and fight sex trafficking, I, I want to think of some best practices so that we consider survivor advocates as um, highly valuable members of our team. And there are some risks 
when we when we publicize that we're going to have this survivor come and tell her story, are we dehumanizing them? Are we turning people into projects? Are we re-exploiting them? And when we ask pointed questions, do we trigger their reliving experiences? Um, do we trigger when we ask them to tell details? Do we trigger people who are in the audience that have had similar past experiences? Um, we want to use our voices with dignity and respect and how we treat our survivors. Their stories are really important. They do not define them, to quote my friend, Harmony Dust. And I will, um, I will send a link to this so she hears me. Big shout out to you, Harmony. I think we have to make a commitment as leaders in this battle in, in our, our respective faith platforms to commit ourselves to refuse to re-exploit survivors, respect their dignity, respect their personal space, and respect their contribution to the work. Well said, Sandy. Well said. We've uh, and we've said it before on a few occasions, but it's worth repeating. Of um, sometimes that well-intended, let's hear a story from a survivor um, message. It gets a lot more complicated than, uh, than than a lot of people think about when they're not thinking about things the way you've thought through them and and you've been coaching people on over the years. So thank you for that. Well, and I would recommend that you go to her website, IamATreasure.com, and look into the trainings that they do every year. Um, they, they, they are well-grounded trainings. And they have a new in-demand campaign that I just love the, the tagline, if you get free, she gets free. Because ending human trafficking has a lot of different pieces to it. And combating pornography is one of them. It's turning off the massive marketing campaign for victims. We've uh, said so many times how so much of this fits together. It's not, unfortunately, a simple answer, but looking at it through a complex lens like we've done today, I think helps us to gain a little more clarity on how we can really end human trafficking, Sandy. Thank you so much. And uh, for everyone listening, if you have a comment or question about what we've talked about today, or maybe um, something regarding human trafficking we, we haven't discussed before, uh, we always love to hear from you. And the best way to reach us is to email gcwj at vanguard.edu. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And uh, you can also reach us by phone, 714 966 6360. And by the way, if you listen and use iTunes and have a moment, we'd love it if you took a moment to rate or review the show. Thanks, and uh, see you in two weeks. Thanks, Andy. Bye.